Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is leading me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Now again, I declare that that will be your portion this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. The word will enter your heart. Amen. It will give you light and direction. Amen. It will heal in every area. Amen. Including the areas you did not even know you needed healing. Amen. You will be healed in that area too. Amen. And it will make you more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Alright, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. Let's just quickly get into our teaching. So nice to see you this evening. Alright, let's continue. Um, It's our school of Bible exegesis. You know a lot of Christians don't know the Bible. You know that? And it's a very terrible thing. And I think, you know, Christians should try. That should be your focus. I want to know the word of God. I want to know what God is saying to me. It's very important. It's very important. Now, let me quickly say something before I get into the teaching. There is no difference. What I mean is that the New Testament, what you call New Testament, that is from Matthew to Revelation, and what you call Old Testament, which is from Genesis to Malachi, both of them are the word of God. There's one teaching that was you know, popular in the, um, Christianity, especially the Word of Faith movement, that um, um, the Old Testament was written to the Jew and the New Testament was written to Christians. So Christians should spend more time reading the New Testament. Actually, I grew up with that. All, right? all my days on campus, when we were studying scripture, that was what we thought. It was first day I went to, well, one of those days when I went to Covenant Christian Center in Lagos and Pastor Paul was preaching and he explained something that Paul said. And of course, the scriptures were there before, but that was the day it opened. That Paul said, this is a gospel that the prophets preached. And this Paul was talking about this gospel of Jesus and he said it was preached by the prophets. That was the first time I realized that I could, that is, I understood what, the, what people call the Old Testament actually is not old. And he made a statement. He said, if the light of Christ shines upon you and the veil is removed from your eyes, he said, what people call old, you will see Christ in it. He said, if the veil has not been removed, you will go to the New Testament, all you will see is laws, 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 laws. He said, the difference between what is old and what is new is whether your eyes are opened or your eyes are not open. And I want Christians to realize it. That, look, it's only when we don't have understanding we will say that, okay, this one is not written. What I mean is that the Old Testament was into the Jews. Now, there's a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Christian is not under the Old Covenant. Are you getting my point? What is an Old Covenant? An agreement that God made with Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. And in that, he will tell them, these are the ways you will live if you are going to be under that covenant. For example, circumcision under that covenant was compulsory. But in the New Testament, circumcision is not compulsory because we are not operating the laws. What people call the Old Testament, all right, 
Actually, the Bible didn't call it at any point Old Testament. Not one place did the Bible call it Old Testament. I didn't want you to get to the New Testament. When you talked about the Old Covenant, it was referring to what happened on Mount Sinai and the nation of Israel as a people. That was the Old Covenant. But what people call the Old Covenant, the Bible calls it the Law and the Prophets. There's a difference. The law and the prophets. You will see that when Jesus, I think we should quickly read that, all right? I don't know why I'm just starting from that today, but I won't take much time on it, okay? I want to just quickly read something. You will see that when Jesus rose up from the dead, when he wanted to show things about himself, we're reading from the book of Luke, chapter 24. Now, we we'll just quickly get down to that. Okay, you know the story? There were two men traveling that day. And then Jesus joined them and began to walk with them. And then, of course, what, what has been happening? You don't know what's been happening. Where have you been? They didn't know who they were talking with. Then now look at from verse um, 25. He said, And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Can you see that? He said, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. Now notice verse 27. Then beginning with Moses. And with all the prophets. He explained to them. The things concerning himself. In all the scriptures. What does that tell you? The things concerning Christ. Is to be found. Or are to be found in all the scriptures. So if you say that only. Let the Paul, let, let us of Paul. We're written to you. You will miss many things about Christ that are recorded in all the scriptures. And at this point in time that he was speaking, Matthew had not been written. Okay, the first one was um, Thessalonians, <laughs> from what we were told. That has not been written. Of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of them have been written. Act, Luke and Acts were written towards the end of the life of Paul. They have not been written. And at this time, Paul did not even know who Jesus was. Please, I hope you are following my point here. Yet, of course, I don't need to tell you, John had not yet gone to, had not yet gone to Patmos. So revelation wasn't there. Yet, he had scriptures to show things about himself. And the church used to gather those days and read the Bible, in quotes. And their Bible ended in Malachi. The difference is that they understood how to read it. Now, the things that the early apostles and prophets taught are the things that you and I now call the New Testament. And those things help you see what is written in the old, so-called Old Testament, which I don't call Old Testament. I call it the proper name, the law and the prophets. Please, as Christians, make it your aim to know, just know this word of God. Just know it. You get my point? Just know it. Let, know the scriptures. Know what God is saying. A colleague of mine yesterday, I had a meeting with him. Well, a few of, three of us had a meeting. We run a particular fellowship for some people. I will not tell him what happened to their, in their church on Sunday. They said, I should come and see what hello. That they organized a major program and invited a major minister. So at a point in time, the man said, if you want to hear that your enemy died, come forward. And that, the whole, that is, almost everybody in the church went forward. He was looking at them like, He's a Bible teacher in his church. He said that day, I got, I was frustrated. Now, 
Is it that I have not been doing my work properly or they have not been listening? A man came to say, look, if you want to hear news that your enemy died, come forward. And you'll be bragging. One man, I prayed, I told God. And the next week, I heard he had died. Listen, ignorance, listen to me, must not be your portion. Somebody say amen. amen. No, our acting president, he, he preached a message in Benin a few weeks ago, PFN conference. And it's circulating on social media right now. So this man showed what it meant to be what it means to be a Christian. All this one they say is Islamic has made he says something essentially. He said that's Christianity. He says sometimes we die. <laughs> what was this in effect? He said at the end of the day, we are not going to build and we are not going to become terrorists. We're not going to become extremists. We are going to remain what we always have been, Christians. Listen, let me tell you the truth. Christians are different people. We are different people. Somebody say amen. amen. We are different people. And I want us to understand something. We cannot walk around ignorantly. Like I said the other time, if everything you are saying is what they are saying, they bear pardon. You are wrong. If your utterances, there are a lot of pastors that are here in town, they may as well be members of IPOB and um, Masol. To me, shame on them. Because if what I'm hearing in the gutter is what I hear in church, something is wrong. Those when I was in Lagos, one day my pastor came to church. I wasn't there that day. He reported to me. He said he realized he had become an Adeko prophet and he repented publicly. He repented publicly. He said, for now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to stop reading newspapers. I shouldn't be prophesying like the common man on the streets of Lagos. You come to church, the same talk here inside the bus, that's what you are hearing. The same talk you hear, the other time, you know, my classmates were talking and they accused me, like I told you here before, of things. Why I said I told them I choose to talk differently. I would not like I would not be like the rest of you. As believers, our statements must be loaded with the word of God. What did I say? So please make it an assignment for your lives. Fill your heart with knowledge. No, there's no book like the book of Ezekiah. Simple things like that. Open your Bible to the book of Nicodemus, chapter five. Don't fall for it. <laughs> People fall for those things. So open your Bible, Josiah chapter 2. People will be looking for it. Just Josiah, Josiah chapter 2. I'm checking the table of contents. The Lord is good. And it's not this book. Aye, the Lord is good. Oh, not the basics. Please let me recommend again today for everybody. Listen to our series, Faith Basics. A few years ago, I took time out here to go from just what, what, does, what does sin mean? Sin does not mean we don't do it in our church. What does, God, what does the Spirit of God saying something mean? It doesn't mean my pastor said. There's a word of difference between God said and my pastor said. I've had no complaint. In this church, I said, look, as Christians, it is not in this church that's the issue. There are things that in this church, are you getting my point? Like in this ministry, Kingdom World Ministries, we have rules. For example, you don't work, most churches you work in any time you like. But here, once you're not in, before I'm on the pulpit, you have to wait till CVMN says you can come in. And if he doesn't like you that day, close the door. The pastor is busy. Just stop here. Everybody stops at the door and you can't. So that's my rule. Are you getting my point? That's our rule here. But that's not the word of God. Christians, you understand that there are things that are your church rules. Not a big deal. But you know what is our church rule and what is scripture. Are you getting my point? There are many things people hold on tightly to. They make it look as the word of God, but it's not. Just look at them and be smiling. 
What am I talking about today? Just as an introduction. Please, let's know the scriptures. Amen? Amen. Make it that this is a target of your heart. I want, I'm a Christian. I should know the word of God. That's one thing I like about um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Because I just like to go to church and go and pray and be making noise. Prayer is good, though. I mean, after all, we're not for this what we're doing. I just be a school of prayer. But please, we should have knowledge. Amen? That's what gives us stability. Many times, you know, I remember that thing I've said many times here. When, some, when women said they went to hellfire. How many of you remember it? How many of you saw the video? You who don't watch horror movies. <laughs> One day I got to my office at work. I gave one woman in, my, in the office to help me do something. So I gave her my laptop. So I came into the general office and I sort of then crowded around my laptop. I said, What are you admiring on my machine? I now heard somebody talk. I said, What is that? A video of the woman that I went to hell. I said, Remove it now. My machine doesn't play lies. Remove it now. I refused to watch it. Why, was I, why wasn't I bothered? From the things they said, I said, This is a lies. I said, they are lies. I didn't care. Said, somebody wrote me a mail because the person read, because I, I was asked so many questions and I wrote the tract. Who is going to help? Somebody wrote, read it and wrote us a mail that, that I need to go and watch it. Watch what? What is, said, what, what is being said inside our head? That God sends women to hellfire for tying their head in a particular way. And somebody went to hellfire, did not see men there. He saw only women. Why? Because of makeup. You know, you know, if you are not used to smoking Igbo, when you smoke it, you will go to hell. When the day you smoke it, you will go to hell. You'll be seeing things. Michael Jackson will be there dancing in front of you like they always tell us. Some women smoked in their hymn that they were not accustomed to. They began to see visions. And I'm supposed to go by it. Ask my wife many times <laughs> why she's used to it now, does this. Sometimes we'll be in the church. Someone will be talking and I pinch my wife. I said, the guy is lying. <laughs> How do you know it's lying? I said, this cannot be true. This is a fat lie. How do you know it's a fat lie? I said, the God I serve doesn't behave like this. And many times, you now find out later, this was not what happened. The story has been wrongly told. As you remember, one, like, by the time I heard it, when I finally heard the real story from the person's mouth, I told him, I said, I told you that this thing doesn't happen like this. But the person was telling the story amplified in such a manner. Why? He just wanted us to bring out a tithe. I tell my wife, I said, this guy did it. I said, this thing didn't happen like this. How do you know? I said, I know the way God behaves. Like the one I told you I heard. A man said his son died, and he dropped his son on the altar of a church he built. I said, this is what I get for building you a church. You can have him. And as he was going, the boy woke up from the dead. I said, <laughs> I said the God I serve, he will kill your second son. While you are protesting, he takes your daughter. People think that only, no, you don't know this God well enough. The only person, the only preacher in modern times I have heard describe God properly is David Paulson. He's the only preacher I've heard say that it was God that killed six million Jews. He's the only preacher I've heard say that if they are not careful, it will happen again. He's the only preacher I've heard say it. I thought, ah, when I heard it, I was relieved that, Banky, you are not alone. The reposition is 86 or 87 now. I said, good. At least an old man who's been preaching for almost 70 years said the same thing that I've been warning people about. This God is not a man that does not do anything bad. 
Every time you lie, he disobey him. He bless you for disobedience. Why? After all, Jesus died for him. He's my son. Once he just says, Jesus died for me, I'll just bless him. Even if he lives in a sin and iniquity. Rubbish and nonsense. Anyway, that's just my way of telling that that people will say something, something I say, forget it. They, they don't, it's not God. It's, God doesn't behave like that. What I want to say, please, let's have what? Knowledge. Let's have what? Knowledge. Understanding. You need to go for it. Make up your mind. You know the way you were in secondary school, you studied economics because you wanted to pass. You say you want to be an engineer, you say you have to read your, engineer, your physics, and you read it. In the same manner, take it like you need to know the word of God to handle the exams of life. I hope I'm clear. I just feel like starting with that. The Lord is good. Let's continue. Now, we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's open our Bibles there again. The book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to continue today from chapter 6. Now, let me not take too much time, but I need to just take a minute or two and remind us of what we are doing. We'll get a whole summary of it. We are looking at what Solomon learned from life, from observing life. Many people have said that Solomon wrote this book as a backsliding saint, but it's not true. I know a man, I love his messages so much, but he doesn't read from the book of Ecclesiastes. He believes that Solomon was confused when he was writing it. The problem is that a lot of people don't have understanding of what was happening. And that's what we've been trying to do, to help people get a perspective, the right one. Solomon was not confused. He was inspired. The counsel of God is in this book. And we have been looking at it as Solomon explained it. The summary of the book is that life has no meaning without God. It's totally zero. The summary of the book is that nothing is worth pursuing in life apart from the knowledge of God. The summary of the book is that you have to be careful not to put your energy into things that don't help. Things that that are not worth it. That many of the things we are pursuing in life, he called them vanity. What makes something vanity is that it's not worth human effort. If God pours it upon you, you will enjoy it. That's what he was saying. If grace brings into your life, you will enjoy it. But if you put your effort into trying to get it, it will not bless you. That was what Solomon was saying. I hope you are getting my point here. And now reading through it, we are now seeing how we derive those things. They were observations. Like I said, if you live long enough and you're objective, you will also find that this is life. In the, in the Western world, now, no, I keep on referring to this. People will tell you that, ah, why can't a man marry a man if they want to? You know what they don't tell you? You can write the, this website down. It's called sexchangeregrets.com. Go there and go and read it. Somebody opened a website to show that their experience, all those who are pushing these things, the ex- experience is bad. But those who are satanic, like my friend who lives in the U.S. will say, who want, us to, who want to corrupt things, they will not let you see that side. So a man opened a website where he researches all the experiences of the people that have gone that way. And he will not put it up there. Read it. It doesn't work. That day I was reading in the BBC News that one man came out finally came out of the closet as a homosexual at the age of 95. It's a grandfather. I know what he said. That he first discovered he was gay at the age of five. I started laughing. <laughs> at the age of five, you can't even pronounce your name correctly. At the age of five, what do you know? And I, there's what they call para... para um, oh, let me remember the name now. Anyway, there's a mental problem of old age. 
The man obviously has developed the age, the problem. Paraphrenia, yes. And now confused. That in, of course, those who want to lie to us now put it as international news that the man was in the closet for 90 years. At the age of five, you found out you were gay. At the age of five, no man would even know they are not gay. <laughs> but these are lies. That's what I'm going to say. The fact is that in this life, just by living long enough, you will find out that these people are telling lies. That the word of God is always true. What am I going to say? So you find out that Solomon, what happened to him was that he went through life and he documented things that he observed without reference to scripture. I don't know whether you're getting my point. When he says vanity, it was not a revelation. It was an observation. And I've been saying it again and again. It was saying, in effect, everybody that goes through that, we also discover it. Everybody. That's the summary of the book. And we'll get to the summary that he wrote at the end. When we'll get down to the last chapter. So this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and obey his commandments. Nothing else is worth pursuing in life. Now we stopped in chapter 6, around verse 6. But so as to get it in context, I'll back up slightly again. And then, let me just start from verse 1. I'll rush that, then get to verse 7, then I'll slow down. He said, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing in all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. He said, this is vanity and a severe affliction. He said, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper barrier, then I say, better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility and goes into obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, and it never knows anything. It is better off than that man, he was saying. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice, and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place. That is, this man is not better. Having lived that long, he still goes to the same place as a miscarriage. So, it is what happened during the lifetime that matters. That's the difference. Now, please, let me just pause for a second. Now, this is a follow-up from chapter 5, actually. And he was talking about the matter of wealth, the matter of money. He had explained, in summary, there is nothing worth pursuing. If you rush to make a lot of money, you only increase your expenses in life. That's what he said when he said, when wealth increases, the number of people that eat it increase. What it means is that your expenses will increase. The number of people that depend on you will increase. The number of bills you have to pay will increase. At the end of the day, the man earning 10 million every month and the man earning less than, less than one twentieth of it, they have about the same amount of money left at the end of the month. That's what, what he was trying to say. You know, and one of my brothers would say that may, more, may money not send you on an errand. He works in an office where people earn huge amounts of money. He said, if I tell you their debt profile, how much money they are owing, why? Because suddenly, men will suddenly realize that I can finish a house in Abuja, in Port Harcourt, in Lagos at the same time. The salary is no longer enough. They now go to the bank and take loans. They suddenly they need money, they go and take from loan sharks. Hoping that, yes, quickly the stock market will do like this and they'll have more money to pay. These are things that regular people don't dream of. <laughs> so that's what Solomon was saying. And like I said the other day, you don't have the capacity in yourself to escape this. It's a spiritual problem. You don't have it. And Solomon said, if money increases, 
Except God gives you satisfaction, you will go the same way. There's nothing you can do about it. That's what we discussed last time. I'm not going to write it again. Just trying to connect to where we are. He now said, this is a result I've seen. That's one. That you find out that many times people lay up wealth. At the end of the day, everything is lost. Either through too much expenditure or through collapse and investment or savings. They, that's why he now came down to what he was saying. That you now find that a man's soul is not satisfied. Now, please, notice something there. I emphasized, I emphasized it last time. That it's not about having, but about satisfaction. It's not about having, but about what? Satisfaction. Because if we read from that chapter 5 into that chapter 6, that was the emphasis of Solomon. That the man, let me just, I'm trying to back up to that place in, in chapter 5. He said, here is what I have seen, verse 18, to be good and fitting. To eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life. Of, of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Notice verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered to eat from it and receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. He said, this is the gift of God. In verse 20, he says that God keeps the man occupied with gladness in his heart. So that's what he was emphasizing. It is that satisfaction that comes. So when we get down to verse 3 of chapter 6, it says, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied. That is the word, satisfied. He can have many things, but if he does not have that satisfaction, then he has missed it entirely. And we said, we believers must know the meaning of the word satisfaction. Satisfaction is not that I have seen Dubai, I have seen Abu Dhabi, I have seen Australia, I have seen the Rock of Gibraltar, I have gone to Israel, I have walked in the, the same path that Jesus walked. Fat joke that we Christians like to crack a lot of times. I have done all of those things. That is not satisfaction. Jesus said, my satisfaction is what? Doing the will of him that sent me and finishing his work. And I'm going to get into that further today because we're trying to apply these things to our lives as believers. So that's where we are. Now, so Solomon, let's now get another verse 7. I just want to connect where we stopped. He said, all a man's labor, now notice that this is very carefully, follow this very carefully. This is still a continuation of what he was saying. He said, all a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor have, knowing how to walk before the living? He said, verse 9, what the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too, he says, is futility and striving after wind. Now, I want to, I need to explain this, or should I? Yes, let me explain this one. Like I said, it's a continuation of what we have been reading. He's saying here, a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. I said something, let's be careful when we are reading Solomon, to know when he's making an observation and he's drawing a conclusion and he's telling you the word of God that he has come, uh, come to ex- understand. Or when he's just looking and saying this is what people will say under these circumstances. Now what was he saying here? He's saying that, look, a man is looking for satisfaction. A man has many children. He wants them taken care of. And that is the reason why he's laboring for his mouth. He said, but you discover that this man does not have enough to be satisfied. He now said, what, these verses are connected. He said, what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? Now, he wasn't saying wisdom 
is not better than folly. It was saying a man's labor is for his mouth. A man is laboring, he doesn't have enough out of his labor. He said, now what advantage does a wise man have over the fool? What advantage does a poor man have? Now listen to this. Knowing how to walk before the living. What was he saying? If this man says he's wise, now follow this. Yet his wisdom is not producing fruit from his labor to satisfy his appetite. What is the advantage? I don't know whether you're connecting that. That's exactly what those script verses are tied together. He now says, what the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and striving after wind. What did he say is futility? Wisdom that does not produce results. Paul says something. I need to bring this one down to Christianity quickly. Paul said this. He said, don't give attention to endless genealogies that, do, that only produce more ungodliness. Many people go to theology schools. They are doctors of divinity, they call them. At the end of the day, he's not working more righteously than the man who is not a Christian. He said, what is the advantage of his doctorate in divinity? Please, I hope you are getting my point here. Donald Trump said something long, long time ago. He said many times he, give, he, has, give, he has employed consultants okay, to help him with some issues in the business. And when they are done, he reads through the report and he laughs. And he says that, look, the only thing he has seen here is that the man has proven to him, Donald Trump, that he should retain his services. So he doesn't employ them anymore. He said many times people claim, now, this man also said it, uh, what is his name? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett said, Wall Street is very funny. He said a man drives down in a, in a Rolls Royce and is taking investment advice from a man who came in a bus. <laughs> That's what I remember for you. He said, it's very funny. You, I, I mean, I come down in a Rolls Royce and you want to give me investment advice, you can't even afford a decent car. So he said, why am I listening to you? <laughs> That's what Solomon was saying. That many times people talk plenty. He said, prove what you have said from the results that it is getting. When Mary Kay Ash wrote her book, she said she refused to publish it because she was giving advice on how to run a business and to make the business, marketing actually, a marketing uh, company. And then she said, why should anybody read it? Why? I am nobody. So she started Mary Kay Cosmetics just to prove that her principles worked. She did not start a business because she wanted to make money. She wanted to sell a book to people that read this book and run your business like this. But she said, listen, people are not going to read it because they think I don't know what I'm saying. So let me put it into practice. So she put the thing into practice, and then Medicaid Cosmetics started. She didn't want to sell cosmetics. That was the only thing she found available to sell and create a kind of niche for herself because she saw something that she wanted to market. She was not a, a cosmetic specialist. Now, but I'm going to bring out a principle here. That was exactly what Solomon was saying. Now, but this is our application as believers. He was saying that all a man's labor is for his, what? his belly, if you read King James. He wants to be satisfied in life. We have found out that our own satisfaction comes from what? Doing the will of him that sent us and finishing his work. What does that mean? Anything we claim to be doing in life, must be improving our abilities, all right, to do the will of God in our lives. Otherwise, it's empty knowledge. When you're talking about wisdom here, a man is full of scripture. He claims to know a lot of things. But walking in righteousness now, he can't. 
Walk above sin, he can't. Okay, he claims to have all the knowledge, but it is not affecting his ability to fulfill the will of God in his life. Solomon was saying, in effect, that is empty knowledge. But what, the, the literal thing he was trying to say is that, listen, there is no advantage. A man who claims to be wise must show results in the area of his wisdom for you to listen to him. Do you get the point here? It must, one day, we know, we're talking. I, somebody was giving some business advice. I just asked one of our brothers, hey, who's his friend? I said, which business does he do? Has he done business like this? He said, no. I said, then forget the advice he's giving. That's why he's speaking this plenty English. He has not yet applied these things he's saying. If he applied them, he will know they don't work. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. But then, like I said, let's apply it to ourselves as believers. Solomon was saying to us that, listen, what do we need? We need to ensure that every time we take a scripture, it's not just for mental knowledge. It is to apply it to produce practical results of godliness in our lives. Because the focus for us believers is not we are making more money, our business is growing. No, it's I'm fulfilling the will of God for my life. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. All right, so let's continue reading. Now, there's a break there. Solomon goes into another train of thoughts here from verse 10. He said, whatever exists has already been named. It is, and it is known what man is. For he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he, than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? Let me just stop reading here for a moment. And please, I need to switch translation that I'm using. Because when I was studying this, I found out that the sense in what Solomon was saying is best uh, gotten if you read a translation like the Good News Translation or New Living Translation. So I'm going to read both of them. Let's start from New Living Translation, verse 10. He said, everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person would be. So there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So what good are they? He said, let me stop in verse 12. In the, days, in the few days of our meaningless lives, who knows how our days can be best spent? Our lives are like a shadow. Who can tell what will happen on this earth after we are gone? Let me read it again from the good news. Translation. Which verse is that? He said, everything that happens, that's the good news now, everything that happens was already determined long ago. And we all know that you cannot argue with someone who is stronger than you. The longer you argue, the more useless it is. And you are no better off. How can anyone know what is best for us in this short, useless life of ours? A life that passes like a shadow. How can we know what will happen in the world after we die? Now, here is depth. What he's saying here, I have no choice but to interpret it in the knowledge of everything we know about the will of God. But again, let me say this. Solomon said this not as a man who understood scripture. He said this not as a man who God gave revelation to. He said this as a man who just simply sat down and with wisdom he observed life. What am I saying? A man who doesn't believe in God at all, if he looked at life carefully, he will also notice that everything has been determined before the people who play their roles in it. That is a matter of fact. There's the quotation I used last time, or the illustration I used, um, I think is just perfect. And that's the case of um, uh, apartheid in South Africa. A time came, remind me, Bishop Desmond Tutu, he spoke to the clerk. And told him that 
this time has come that apartheid will come to an end. That what you need to do now is make sure you are on the side of what God is doing. You know also that the time that Israel will leave Babylon was determined. It was determined before they went into Babylon. Now, what happened is that Solomon was observing. He wasn't reading scripture here. He was just observing that it appeared like the time that something is going to happen has already been determined. You're getting the point here. So Solomon was saying, in effect, he now said that, so one cannot argue with somebody stronger than him. What is he saying? Whoever determined this thing must be stronger than the whole of mankind. What am I saying? Solomon was proving that atheism does not make sense. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. If a man tells you there is no God, he has not observed life enough. If he observes life enough, he will know that there are forces controlling things on the earth that are beyond humanity. That is a matter of fact. Look at the last election in America. Donald Trump came out to be, he won the presidency. I'm one of those, <laughs> I was one of those that was laughing. I was laughing when the man came. I said, this man is joking again. He's looking for publicity. He says he's a Republican. Contesting for American presidency. I laughed, I laughed until a point came. Every man was dropping. The man was remaining standing. In fact, the first debate they had, Republicans alone, they said, how many of you will agree? He said, which one of you will still run as an independent if you lose these um, primaries? He was the only one that put up their hand that if I lose, I run as an independent. But I must run. <laughs> and this joker has come. Likely, likely, every man was dropping by the wayside. Next thing I knew, um, Ben Carson endorsed him. People were endorsing him. This man was moving forward. Now, they were so sure he would lose. All the polls said he was losing until he finally won. <laughs> Do you know why? When they were calculating, all right, there are city, states in America, they will tell you, these ones always vote for Democrats. Three of those states voted for Donald Trump. They did not see it coming. Nobody could predict it. But you know, I was very happy because I used to say, this man might still win. You know, but of course, I, I stopped. My, my laughter vanished when the man won the primaries. So for the middle election, I said, this man. But why am I talking about it? Later on, we now saw the video by Sadhu Salvaraj. And Sadhu Salvaraj, by August, had announced publicly in a Christian conference that he was in the council, he was in, the council in heaven and he saw Donald Trump appear. And it was told him in the council that this is the next president of the United States of America. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So everything happened on the earth. When we said that, it is by vote. I heard pastors tell me, if I have one in mind, that our current head of state was not chosen by God. That God gave us the opportunity to choose who we wanted and we chose him. And I said, sir, how could 150 million people have agreed? There is no we in this thing. The so-called voting is just the way by which the will of God was manifested. He said, no, Nigerians chose what they wanted and they are going to suffer for it. And I was looking like, what kind of gospel are we preaching? But those who have observed life, they observe it long enough. They said, listen, we know that who will be the president was determined long before we came out to vote. I've heard the story before of um, this man's uh, father. What is his name? CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. Pat Robertson's. Robertson's father was a senator in America. 
And one day, there was a revelation that he will lose the next election. And everybody was so sure the man will win. I don't know whether the revelation came out. Yes, I think so. Then the day of election, you know what happened? Everybody was so sure the man will win, they didn't go to vote. <laughs> and then it was cold. So they said, why bother to go and vote on such a cold day? After all, he's going to win. He has been a senator for maybe decades. And because his supporters did not go out to vote because it was cold, you know what happened? He lost. To fulfill the word of God. <laughs> Men who have observed such things say, will say to you, everything that happens was already determined long ago. And we all know that you cannot argue with someone who is stronger than you. Now, listen to this. Many Christians are now saying that it means my destiny has been determined. Now, let me say this. Solomon was speaking under the sun. I hope you are getting my point. No, I'm going to take a minute and address this. Solomon was speaking how? Under the sun. He was observing. The question is long ago. When was it determined? I need to take a break and explain this. The time you are looking for a job is not when it is determined that you will get that job. The time you want to marry is not when it's de- it being determined that you will get a good wife. The time you are running for office, for governor, president, senator, or even local government chairman, or association president in your office, is not the time it is being determined. The longer go, there are two sides to it. The longer go applies, one, to the will of God, the plan of God, And number two, it applies to when you made your choices as an individual. I need to explain that. That is, what I want to say scares me a bit. Most people, their destinies have been determined. Go and read my book, Choices Key to Destiny and Beyond Gifts and Talents. Destiny of a man at the age of 60 is not determined when he's 40 is determined when it was 20-something. I hope you're getting my point. We need to get this one clearly. When we say it was determined long ago, hear it clearly. It is not that at the age of 70, they will decide when you are going to die. Most likely, that was determined at the age of 25. Look, that is one thing, you know. <laughs> Please go and read my book, Choice is Key to Destiny. Life comes in seasons. Each season, God is determining something. Many times, people are laboring in the time of harvest. I don't know whether I get my point. Harvest time, they say, okay, I want to harvest cocoyam or something like that. But they planted cassava. So when they go into go and harvest, no matter how much they struggle, and that's something people don't understand, they end up harvesting cassava because that was what they planted except that it was 40 years ago. And human beings often forget. Please, I hope you are getting my principle here. When we say, because I needed to bring that one out, because sometimes people don't understand this well, they look at, look, they take the Islamic viewpoint. What is the Islamic viewpoint? Or the Hindu viewpoint? It's Allah's wish. It's um, karma. Or no, things have just been determined. There's nothing you can do about them. No, but it's not like that. In Christianity, we understand that people qualify themselves for things. And many people are struggling at the time of harvest, not the time of seed. And they are supposed to have struggled at the time of seed. What am I saying? Will David become king in Israel? 
it was determined long when he was not even aware that Israel needed a king, it was determined. Why? Because of certain choices he made on the field while tending sheep. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. It was determined by certain choices he made on the field while tending sheep. Even though he did not even know. Because no, he was chosen as king shortly after his, uh, Saul was chosen. Saul was in the office for maybe a few months. I don't even know. Is it up to two years? When he started misbehaving. And God said, I found another man to replace you. He was just about 17, there about or 16. When um, Samuel came to the house and anointed him. It took a number of years. At the age of 30, he finally took the throne. But what I'm trying to explain is that David was chosen even before he knew that the concept of king was coming to Israel. Please, let's get it clear. It is not the time of harvest that will start deciding the thing that's going to happen. Every day, and there's something one of my friends said, actually said something. He said, there's something that we as believers did long ago that brought us to where we are today. So he started asking the question, then let's be careful concerning what we are doing now so that it can take us to where we would like to be tomorrow. Now, this is interesting part. I went to preach somewhere once. And look, please go and read my book, um, Beyond Gifts and Talents. Delilah killed something, right? All right, of course, you know what I mean. She didn't, she didn't slaughter him herself, but she, she walked everything up. Now, you've, you've, you can imagine, at least this happened to me those days, you bring the Bible. You know, you know, you've seen a film you've seen many times before. And one man did something wrong. And you're watching the film again. You are still, just before he does this wrong, you're like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't do it. And of course, when I'm watching film with my wife, I, I, I'm ready for such times. He said, oh, like there's one movie my wife does not like watching. 300. How many of you have seen 300? My wife dislikes. If I, if I, if I put that, she, get, she, will, she will sit down and be watching and getting angry. And I feel like saying, baby, you know this film has been acted years ago. And you and I have watched it a number of times. He said, but why did this man go to tell them? Why did he go to tell them? You get my point. She still gets angry, even though she has seen it many times. In the same manner, many times you watch Delilah as you're reading your Bible. Something about to tell Delilah. And you're like, Something, shut up. <laughs> you look at Something, don't say it. Something, please, this is going to be dangerous. Don't, don't. Something, please, don't. And then he says, He says, Oh. Something, why will you do that? <laughs> But please go and read the book, Beyond Gifts and Talents. I explained that that was not when the decision was made that Samson should say it. Samson was going to say it. God in heaven had decreed that Samson would say it. Why? Because at that time, his spiritual strength was finished. It was thoroughly gone. Why? Because Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a harlot. And Samson would go here, and there he would see a woman. And the Bible says, do not give your strength to that which destroys men. And Samson had given his strength out. So the time, don't say it, don't say it, was out of the point. He was going to say it. He was going to say it. If you give Samson ten opportunities, he will say it ten times. Why? Because next time Delilah will show up, it will be Delilah. It will be a trusted friend. A guy like himself. Disguised in another way. But the spirit of something that had been weakened by all his behaviors is what to make him say it again. 
play that film 10 times, something will say it 10 times. Why? It was determined before he started acting the movie. <laughs> Are you getting my point here? It was determined long before that time. And please, that's what um, 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 Solomon observed. Because listen, uh, let me use our as an example. The other day we were talking about Ben Bruce. Those things that he said, you see frustration in Ben Bruce's face. And I feel like telling you, oh, Ben Murray Bruce, you don't understand. What you are seeing is, a, is an outplaying of a blessing that has not yet been manifested. What I'm going to say is this. It is not if your senators behave well, the country will move forward. No. It is that when the country is set to move forward, men who will behave well will be put into office. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. Don't be angry that those who are there are not behaving well. When the time to move forward comes, those who will not agree, because God doesn't change adults automatically. Oh, get that point clear. He doesn't. He selects the appropriate adults to use for the right things. He said, Pharaoh, for this cause I raised you up. What does that mean? That is, I brought you from obscurity to being the king in Egypt. That I might show my glory in you. So when he said, I hardened his heart, it was not out of wickedness. It was that this is a vessel unto dishonor. Please, you, you get that principle. Pharaoh, were it not, for that, were it not that God needed a man to persecute Israel in Egypt, Pharaoh would not have lived beyond the age of 30. That Pharaoh. He has sinned enough to die early. He has sin, sinned enough to rot in prison and make sure he dies there. But God said, I need a vessel unto dishonor. So he raised Pharaoh up. So Pharaoh, that Pharaoh had no choice but to resist God. That's why you hear God say, I will harden his heart. It was determined long ago. Now, even if you did not read the Bible, if you observe life, you will know something is moving men to foolishness. It's not normal head. Are you getting my point? You just observe. Say, Why are they doing like this? And it comes to a point in which a man wants to succeed also, a woman wants to succeed. You will know that something is moving this person into success. Solomon was observing under the sun. But there's something that we have learned from scripture. We have realized how things work beyond the sun. We'll get to it later. Let's not sit on it now. But for us believers, do we have control? Yes. But not at that point. It's usually days before that. Years before that, that we'll have made up our minds to do the things that are right, that are pleasing to God, that will make the events of life automatically move us into the place that God determined. What he was saying in effect is that because things have been determined, you cannot argue with someone who is stronger than you. you know, the Chinese man says, a man often meets his destiny on the path he chose to run away from it. <laughs> you get my point. Yeah, if you ever saw this film, um, this um, animated cartoon, um, Kung Fu Panda, when that, um, that dog or something ran to go and deliver, when Master Shifu said, Strengthen the guard, you know, double the guards, double the shift, double that. There's no way Thailand is coming out of that jail. Ugwe said, men often meet their destiny on the very path they choose to run away from it. The Chinese people, they discover the destiny of God. No, they discover the word of God by that statement. Please, I need to get to this. Have you ever seen a woman say that because my father was not rich, I must marry a rich man so that I will not suffer? they always end up suffering. There's no way. There's no way. If she carries out that threat, she will suffer. If she married the man while, she was, while he was rich, he will become poor for her sake. <laughs> and he's not Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not kidding. 
if it doesn't become poor for her sake, he will treat her harshly. So much that she will hate her position in that house. No, that is a matter of fact. What I've told you is deep wisdom. Live your life by it. If somebody wants to be wealthy in life, you don't make such choices. You go to God and kneel down and pray. You never, ever put your hope in any human being. God, you see, God said, I, your God, am a jealous God. He's, je- he's jealous. He's a jealous God. What it means is that if you have put hope in any other thing apart from him, he has to disappoint that thing. Let me tell you, if you see any Christian say that Nigeria is rough, I'm going to America so I can make it, tell him, tell her, listen, settle down. You can go anywhere you want in life. But settle down here first and settle prosperity matters. If you run like this, look, one day I got a phone call. One of my friends. He called me and said, hey, Banky, he lives in the U.S. He said, do you remember so and so and so, doctor? I said, yes, I remember him. He said, I got a call a few weeks ago. And somebody called him and said, please, can you help a Nigerian doctor in America? He's frustrated. Five or six years after landing in America, he's still driving a taxi. He said, I was asked just a few days ago to please help a frustrated doctor in America. A Nigerian doctor. Because later on, when I heard the story of his life, I said, God has personally stood against this guy. He's not going anywhere in life. You know, Fernando says something. What you do regularly, you become good at it. If you were an irresponsible man in Nigeria, you get to America, you won't know. It comes out of your body. If you are running somebody business for somebody, you did it badly. You now go and start your own. <laughs> Please laugh. Tap your neighbor and laugh. <laughs> you practiced with somebody else's business to do bad for 15 years. You want to now start your own and succeed. That's why civil servants, they retire and go and start business. It doesn't do well. But if you see those who are in the private sector, when they retire and start their businesses, they tend to do better. Because private sector drills them and went to wake up. Ah, no, 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 no. Those days when my wife was working in UBA. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sitting, my wife don't bow, finish, don't ready. Me, I was working for federal government. She was working for me. She was working for UBA. She had to cross Transekulu Bridge before 7 o'clock. Quarter to 7, she must have crossed the bridge. Otherwise, she would go late to work. And once it's 7.30, the bank will lock the door, saying, saying they are opening vault. And the vaults cannot open while doors are open. And so they open vaults from 7.30 to 8. So you have, go, you have to go and wait outside with the customers. And they're coming by 8 o'clock. For that reason... My wife, those days, we live in Transekulu. She's out of the house. 7, 6, 30, she has driven out so that she can cross Transekulu Bridge before quarter to 7. So that she can get down to UNEC before 7, 30. So such people, when they now leave that, they are used. But you know, if you work for 30 years in civil service, I'm telling you, well, you didn't have to generate your, your salary. You, know, you don't have to do anything. You carry that one into private business. You know, people say they collect their gratuity. Say, I want to invest it. I said, don't invest it. Spend it. At least if you spend it. <laughs> That's the advice I used to give you. You see a man who has never sold or bought anything in 35 years. He now retires one day. Having worked for government. Now I say, I want to start. I, want to. I said, what have you invested in before? Nothing. So God, don't waste your money. Just buy land, build a house, two flats, collect rent from the second one. And this one, <laughs> because if you dare invest, the money is going away. 
What you haven't done in 35 years, you want to start it today? The Lord is good. Oh, where were we? Oh, Lord, this is how life is. So Solomon was saying, there are spiritual forces out there that you cannot argue with. When they start moving, you can't stop them. That's what he was saying there. He said, the longer you argue, the more useless it is. When spiritual forces are against you, you cannot fight them. I told you about the man in Benin. A deep occultic man. He said, one night, somebody woke him up who he could not see. And told him, enter into your shrine house, the, your store of gods. Pack all the gods into bags and follow me. He couldn't see anybody, but he was hearing the commandments. A man who said, there were, there were idols there that he sacrificed a fowl to every day. Some of them, a woman mustn't touch. Many of them, water mustn't touch. Yet, said when he woke up at night, around 3 a.m., somebody just woke him up. He woke up. He didn't see anybody, but he knew somebody woke him up. And the person told him, get up. He didn't see anybody, but he knew he was told, get up. Why am I talking about it? He packed all his gods, put them into his car, and drove himself to a bridge in Benin at around to 4 a.m., before 4 a.m., and dumped, and the person told him, yeah, dump all your gods into the water. And in one hour, he was left without all the gods he had worshipped all his life. Now, why am I telling the story? They said, why did he obey? He said, listen, when you have been in the occult, you will know when a power bigger than you is talking. <laughs> That's why I'm telling the story. The man said he packed all the gods. This guy is from the royal family in Benin. I went for a full gospel meeting. That's when I heard the story. It was 70-something that time. He said what happened to him was that his wife and children, you know, if you're an evil man and you want to continue doing evil, please make sure your wife and children don't go to church. Because if they do... <laughs> The wife and child had been praying in the house. He thought it was a joke. Those ones called the power of God into the house. The power of God came and said, get up, my friend. No more idol worship in this house. A few years later, when I heard the story, he was preaching the gospel from one place to the other. But what I heard the story is that the man said, if you have been in the occult, you will know when a power bigger than you is instructing you. You can't fight it. And Solomon observed life. He said, he's discovered that it is vain to try and fight the forces that are executing things that have been determined. That's a matter of fact. That was what Desmond Tutu told them in South Africa. If something has been determined, please don't bother fighting it. What does that mean, therefore, for us believers? Make sure we are on the side. Oh, you see, that's when Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, pray like this. That which you have determined, let it be done. Not what I want. What was the prayer? Thy will be done on earth as it has been determined in heaven. Because if we can get that into our prayer, Solomon is not talking about prayer here at all, but like I said, that's, he was talking under the sun. If we get that and pray it effectively and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it has been determined in heaven, let it be done in my life as you have determined it by the power of the sacrifice of Jesus. If the power of God to prosper you comes, no economy can say you won't prosper. It is not powerful enough to revert what God has determined. That's what Solomon is teaching us none of these things. He didn't know this other side of it. He was just looking under the sun. That if something has been spiritually determined, 
There is no force on earth that can stop it. And where we are going as believers is for us to know that our struggle is not on the, under the sun level. Are you getting my point? You can't read enough business books to make you succeed as a business person. A business success has not been determined for you. The word blessing is something you will, we must learn again. That word blessing is an empowerment to succeed. Until you, ha- you have activated blessing in your life, don't bother leaving the house. Stay at home. There's no point. <laughs> I don't know whether you heard my point. There's no point. There's no point. There's no point. Except you follow that which is determined you are struggling in vain. He said the more you struggle, the more you waste time. That's what he said here. He said you cannot argue with someone who is stronger than you. The longer you argue, the more useless it is. That's why, you know what God told the, the, the people of Israel? He's teaching us also. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is how we succeed. That's what he was saying. That is, it is not, bread is what people get up in the morning and hustle for. Hustle for connection. No matter how connected you are, if the force from heaven has not pronounced blessing upon you, you are wasting time. Let me clarify it because in case somebody is hearing only this. This is what I'm trying to teach. At the end of the day, we'll get there. Now listen, our blessings are in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. And we have a duty to activate it by faith and by our words. That is the duty we have. Like I said at the beginning, make sure you have knowledge. Make sure you take what God has said that you have come to know by faith and put it on your lips. Put it on your mouth every day. When people are talking, don't let them, oh God, many Nigerians, I feel sorry for them. They are activating forces that will frustrate them all their lives every day by how they comment on things. Simple thing that nothing works in this country. Then tomorrow he wants something to work. And it's been determined long ago by him. Oh, the Lord is good. Let's just continue. Say, how can anyone know what is best for us in this short, useless life of ours? A life that passes like a shadow. How can we know what will happen in the world after we die? Here he's describing the frustration of somebody struggling against a force that is bigger than him. Trying to make sure things happen in a particular way. It is not possible, you understand, for you to lay out treasure for your children. After you die, they will be secure. It's not possible. That's what he was saying. But we'll come back to the conclusion of this matter later. Now, chapter 7 now. He said a good... Okay, let me go back to New, Living, New American Standard I was using. He said a good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now, let me just say something here. It looks like in this particular area, Solomon just gathered some wise sayings which he had deduced from observing life. That's in chapter 7 here. So you see the next many verses, we'll see short scenes, short discussions, very short. It kind of compiled them, having observed life. Again, it wasn't just speaking by revelation, even though he discovered the word of God from experience, from observation. He now said, now the next few verses are tied together. I'll read them before I come back and then start explaining. He said, a good name is better than a good ointment or perfume. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now again, this is very interesting. How can the day of death be better than the day of birth? The problem is that when we don't understand it, 
will get confused. He wasn't giving you the word of God per se. He was giving you observation of life, and you see what he was saying. It's very clear. I mean, you, you too will agree if you, if you, when we finish going through it. He said, a good name is better than good ointment or perfume. But New Living Translation says it's more valuable than costly perfume. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now, what was Solomon saying by that statement? Okay, let me read everything. I'll get back to it. Verse 2, he says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Again, looking on the surface, this might look confusing. Because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow, again, he says, is better than laughter. Is that not crazy? For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. He said, the mind of, a, of the wise is in the house of mourning. That is, a, a wise man prefers to go to the house where people are mourning. Why the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen, he says, to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as a crackling of thumb bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. Now, maybe let me see whether I can get over this and we'll stop that one there. We'll continue from that point next time. Now, what was he saying in verse 1? A good name is better than good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Solomon was not saying, in effect, that to die is better than to be born. Listen to what he was saying. First, it's easy for everybody to agree that a good name is better than costly perfume. It's more valuable. That is, the sound of that name attracts people more than the smell of a good fragrance. That's what they were saying. But now, the good name, how is it acquired? It is not the good name that a child has been born and they named him fantastically. Give me a very, a very, very, um, there are names that, uh, you know, Chris Pentecostals know how to name people. You know, maybe, they, ah, no, I don't mean David. I mean names like, um, like, God's favor is moving around. You know that kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean when I'm talking about Christian names. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So, that's not what we mean by a good name. What it means by a good name is a good reputation. The knowledge of somebody's character. Are you getting my point? Somebody who, they will say, oh, is it this man that said that? It cannot be a lie. Now, such things come out of what? Experience. So Solomon was saying that between the time somebody is born and the time that he dies, that is when he gets a good name. Now, that the day of one's death is when his good name will have been acquired and people will talk about him. The day of birth, there's nothing to say more than congratulations to the parents. But the man himself, the person herself, himself or herself, it is the day of death that people start talking. You'll have acquired your reputation over time. That's what he was saying. He now said that it is better to go to where people are discussing a man that has died so that you will know how human beings' lives are analyzed. That if you carry yourself and go to where they are always happy, a king has been born, what is there to learn? That's why he said, the wise man's heart is in the house of mourning. It's not as if the man is a sadist. It is just that when people die, people mourn, right? That that is where the wise man goes to go and listen to what they are saying about the man that died. 
For example, Dorcas died. Then everybody starts saying, Hey, Dorcas, oh, short one. You know they call short one? We are in trouble. Like now we are playing 10 against 11. So Peter came in. Hey, he said, I was naked until I met Dorcas. And what I'm wearing today, she was the one that made it. Ah, that was how this woman delivered the other day. The baby, they didn't have any swaddling cloth to use. Dockers went into her drawer and brought it out. And they, by the time they finished talking about Dockers, Peter was provoked. Peter said, Dockers, you can die later. For now, please, get up. This is not the time to die. Do you get the point? That is, you want to learn about the quality of somebody's life, go to where the person has died and stay there. And you hear people talk. That the wise put that one as priority. They are not going to everybody is talking and rejoicing and just eating. You are getting my point here? That's, that's what the wise do. They are more interested in what people say. So the story of Dockers is our best example. People are there talking about somebody's life. So that's what they may said. Sorrow is better than laughter. That is when people are sorrowful, that's when exactly they do a lot of rumination. That's what Solomon was saying here. Again, these are observations. So he said in that verse 4, The mind of the wise is in the house of money, but the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. That is, fools are not concerned about introspection. They are not concerned about people that mean, analyzing people's lives. He now said it is better, verse 5, to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. I need to read that verse 5 somewhere else. Okay, let me first read from New Living Translation. It said, better to be criticized. Now, please, before I go on, the whole basis of understanding of these ones we are reading now, this verse is 2 to verse 6, is verse 1. You get what I'm saying here? It is verse 1 that is teaching us how to interpret everything down to verse 6. So when I'm reading, just bear it in mind. He said, better to be criticized by a wise man than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone, like thorns crackling in a fire. This also, he says, is meaningless. Let me read that again in the um, Good News translation. Now, if I may just back up slightly. He said, someone who is always thinking about happiness is a fool. A wise person thinks about death for obvious reasons. It is better to have wise people reprimand you than to have stupid people sing your praises. <laughs> I think it's very important. He said it is better to have wise people reprimand you than to have stupid people sing your praises. Because this is how it goes. When a fool laughs, it's like thorns crackling in the fire. It does not mean a thing. Now, what was he saying here? He was saying that before you take somebody's compliment seriously, check whether the person is a wise person. Are you getting my point? If a, in quote, fool is telling you you are trying, you are doing well, just don't pay it any attention. Do you know why? He's always saying that. His words don't mean anything. Sometimes, you know, when you hear people talk on radio, you see the kind of people that are calling in and, and, and saying, yes, that thing you said. I said, don't believe these people, though. Don't believe these people. Because once you echo what they want to hear, they will praise you. 
That's what he was saying. That you do not acquire, remember, verse 1 is what we are using to follow these verses. You do not get a good name by being praised constantly by people that don't think. Are you getting my point? It is better that if somebody critical, if somebody criticizes you, and you look, this is my senior, this is somebody that knows more than I do. Listen to what the fellow is saying carefully and correct your attitude. One of the things I found out in life, let me tell you the truth, let me, I'll close with it. If you want to see somebody that's going to be destroyed, check somebody that cannot be corrected. Let me explain that and I'll close. You want to see somebody that's not going far in life, they take offense at correction. They take offense. They, can't be, they stop talking to you when you correct them. And you know the thing about when people correct you, it doesn't mean what I mean that you take it or you leave it. It doesn't take away from you. It cannot take away from you. It cannot take away from you. I've been giving rebukes before that I think is very stupid. In fact, one day man walked in here. He said he's a prophet. We're doing some work here. So he said he wanted to see me. So he went outside. I went and stood beside the door there to talk to him. And he told me what I was not doing correctly. I didn't agree with him, in all honesty. But you know what? I listened to him. Why did I listen to him? It's because I read a book long before that, in which a man said, somebody came to the front of their church and was rebuking the church and criticizing them and saying that God is going to burn them down. God is going to destroy them and scatter them. So they came into his office and said, Pastor, come and attend to this matter. So he came there, they saw a man that was poorly dressed, obviously a homeless man, and said, what do you want? The man said, God, that he's a prophet, and God has sent him to them, and that God is going to destroy all of them. So he said to the shock of his staff, he told the man, follow me to my office. And they, thought, no, they brought him in to come and drive the man away. But he brought the man to his office and sat down, and he listened to the man carefully. So by the time he finished, he realized the man was just bitter and angry. God didn't tell him anything. All right? <laughs> because the man was completely fact that they don't take care of the poor and all those. And he said, okay, okay. Is that what it is? No problem. We'll take care of you. He was a homeless man. But what, I'm saying is, what, I, what I remember from it is that the man said, why did he listen? <laughs> ah, you're laughing now. The man said, why did he listen to the man? He said he realized that what if he's a genuine prophet? That is how I will drive him away, and God will have to destroy us. So at least let me listen. He does not take anything away from me to pay attention to the man. He doesn't take anything away from me. So that day when that man now came and said that the Lord wanted me to know everything he said, well, there wasn't any bad counsel in it, really. But I really didn't. He told me that the Lord said that um, I'm doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> But there are certain areas I'm not meeting up. Well, to me, that's common sense. I mean, everybody knows that. <laughs> are you doing, are you, I mean, <laughs> Steve, are you doing okay everywhere? <laughs> I mean, you have kept a woman waiting for two years. Is that, is that doing okay? <laughs> I mean, are you getting my point? You are doing okay in other areas. But the other, the chooks, have you? The other areas you are, we are not doing all right. We know that. But well, listen to me. This is just a personal thing for all of us. Oh, I should laugh. <laughs> this is a personal thing for all of us. Listen, you never lose anything when somebody points out correction to you. Worst case scenario, hear it, and then, if it doesn't make any meaning, throw it away. Ignore it. Just ignore it. It doesn't mean anything. Just throw it away. 
But please never get offended at correction. Especially when it comes from well-meaning people. Somebody who, I mean, and the person talking to you personally is not correcting you on Facebook. <laughs> are you getting my point? Yeah. If, you are correct, if they are correcting you on Facebook, see, read it anyway, and if it's then just forget. But somebody is talking to you, in fact, pray about it. Let it be that in the place of prayer, you decide that this fellow is wrong. I remember somebody once. His friends called him and rebuked him, I suppose, sharply. Next time I saw him, he was still fuming. He said, look at this man. Look at what they are telling me. By the time, you know, we were off. You know the truth? He never recovered from that thing. And much later in life, 10 years later, 15 years later, when I look back at the ministry, what I keep on remembering was when his own friends gathered and sat him down and said, the way you are running this thing is not right. You need to make corrections. And he took offense and fought all of them. Man, the best you could do is, guys, okay, I've heard what you said. I will think about it. I won't say I'm persuaded you are right, too, but let me think about it. And you remain friends. No. So people are more concerned about their reputation. Because somebody says that what you did is not right, say, hey, you've been telling everybody what I did is not right. They now think I'm not right. Listen, what you think about me is actually your problem. I don't know whether I get my point. Yes, it is. Once it is what God thinks about me that should concern me. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. If you, if you decide you don't like me, you know, I know what I like about the fact I have already married. Yeah, like, you know, that is very good. If you are, if you are single like Chris now, you can be worried that, uh, that Steve, I wanted to say, where's Chris? Even Chris. <laughs> Chris and Steve can be worried that um, uh, people don't like them. But, Chooks, what do you think Are you getting my point? Yeah, okay. So for me, you don't, but the point I'm trying to make is that, listen, Every time there is a word of rebuke, it's actually your destiny has been built. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. If somebody tells you you're not doing especially if you're a workman, ah, can I sit down for a minute? I've finished my message, but if you're a workman, let me just tell you something. If your customer says that this thing you did is not good, never say, use it like that. <laughs> Have you heard that thing before? Yes. If you're working for people, they are unreasonable people, I know that. But most of your customers are not unreasonable. Any complaint they have, address it. That's just, like I said, my message is over. This is just a tip for if you are doing business. Address it. If somebody says, you tell somebody you deliver something by 12, and you come by 2, 2 hours late, and it's complaining, don't say things like, is it not only 2 hours? You shouldn't say that. You should aim that, okay, next time, oh, I am so sorry. Yes, I have some reason why I was delayed, but... Believe me, next time, don't, don't think like, ah, waiting. I, even did two, I know people that deliver two days late. I deliver only two hours late and they are talking. If you are planning to go far in life, there are words you don't, you don't use. You don't, I hope you've gotten my point. Let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. Let's just give a lot of thanks, all right? We're just looking at the wisdom of God from the mouth of Solomon. Remember, I went there with the matter of what? A good name. And because we go to the house of mourning, to check how people have lived their lives. That's what I was saying. What is the application for those of us who are believers? Lord, teach me righteousness. That's it. For us, the reputation is not what we have with human beings, but what God thinks of our character. That's what we are learning in this book of Ecclesiastes. Say, Lord, I go for a good name, walking in righteousness. Let every experience of my life 
be a manifestation of godliness. Let it be a way by which my character is improved. That's just a prayer. Each day we have to take something away from here and pray about it. What is the lesson for today? A good name is better than costly perfume, he said. That, Lord, as I am going through life, God gave us this life actually to develop the character of godliness, to develop in righteousness. He said concerning Satan, said, by the multitude of your merchandise, you have filled the midst of thee with violence. I turned that around, and I realized that God is saying that by the multitude of our activities in life, we are supposed to fill our lives with righteousness. So say, Lord, today I dedicate myself to that again. Realizing that that is what is important in life. Yes, I was born one day, but the day I depart from this life, what will be said of me concerning my work in righteousness? How would God look at my life? Would God be proud to attach his name to mine? Like he called himself the God of Abraham at the time, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The last of all, remember what we prayed last time. Let's pray it again. Lord, satisfaction is what I ask for. Whether I have little or I have much, I want that satisfaction that only you can give. That satisfaction that comes from you alone. That satisfaction that comes from knowing you, from working with you, from having the spirit of Christ. The satisfaction that prevents me from grumbling. Say, Lord, fill my heart with satisfaction. Let me not walk in vanity. Say, Lord, I do not want to walk in vanity. I dedicate myself once again to walking with you. To walking before you in righteousness. And I want us to do something again. Dedicate yourself to the knowledge of God. We started today with it. Say, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Say, Lord, I give myself to you again. My desire is to know you. I want to know your word. I want to know the scriptures. I want to know what you have written concerning me. I want you to know your precepts. I want to know your counsel. Lord, I give myself over to you again to fill with knowledge. To fill with insight. Lord, I want to have the wisdom of Christ. I want to walk with knowledge and with understanding. As it is written, you said, I will give you pastors after my heart who will feed you with knowledge and with understanding. You said knowledge and wisdom will be the stability of my times. Say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, according to this word, I receive from you wisdom. I receive from you understanding. I receive from you knowledge. I receive from you insight. I will not walk in blindness. My heart and my life will be filled with the knowledge of God. Say, Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed.